Good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you all here. You know, I guess many of you all know I came from a pretty darn big church, at least maybe comparatively. So this morning, there'll be like 1,500 people there in three services. So you're just, it's this huge deal, you know. And one of the things that is critical to to making uh, great worship happen is percussion. And so as I've been coming here over the years in the summer, I've always been amazed. I'm like, in that huge place where you have all these professionals in mu- in music, um, it's really hard to get that percussion right. And and we have to encase the percussionists in, in plexiglass, and you've seen it probably. And I come here, and Neil is just, I, I've, I've told him before, it's unbelievable. Like, where have you been? You know, you can make a killing in Dallas, you know, just playing your drums um, and, be, and do it in a church. But, you know, awesome. I'm so thankful. And we're going to, you, you just know people are praying for you and you're a blessing to us. Uh, and been a blessing to me for years and before I knew you. So, um, anyway, we know God's going to take care of you. Uh, a lot of you came to our Thanksgiving service the other, a couple nights ago, Wednesday evening. It's really cool. I've never been to a Thanksgiving service before. We had people here from several different churches and all kinds of folks in here. Uh, and we had the different, you know, leadership involved in making that happen. It was really, it was really cool. And in the process, uh, I had asked Rosie and Tim to share about Thanksgiving. And I, I kind of assumed that if I asked them to do that, they would come in and it might be Thanksgiving in spite of difficult scenario because of the things that they've been through, and we've, most of you have heard about with his brother's death here in the last few weeks. And so uh, that's what they did. And they came up, and they shared this thing, and then his, their story, and as Tyler mentioned, she brought this uh, Thanksgiving tree. It's out in the back. We went ahead and left it up. You can go ahead and put some more Thanksgiving leaves on that tree if you want, or Thanksgiving bush, I think, is what her son called it. <laughs> and when she finished, and when, when Tim finished speaking, they did an incredible job. And I thought, there is no point in me going up there. I just, I, what I have to say doesn't need to be said, because they did such a beautiful, masterful job. Um, and I ended up saying something anyway, but it was just a cap onto that. So I would encourage you next time, next year when we have it, if you can make it. I think it was really, really good, a good experience. Uh, Thanksgiving, uh, as Mark mentioned, is now completely over, except for the remnants of the food that you'll be eating for a while. But uh, we, we have had this uh, discussion year after year in our house as to when Thanksgiving ends and Christmas begins. And the, the indicator of Christmas beginning is when the music starts. And so Sarah and Claire are on this tear that... Christmas begins yesterday. Let's see. Wait. No, it, no, it began Friday. It began Friday. After Thanksgiving, immediately at 12 p.m., music starts. And Michael and Taylor and I are a little less excited about that part, but there's this anticipation, and Claire loves to turn that Christmas music on instantly, as soon as, as, soon as it's available. So uh, anyway, that's happening in our house. There's this anticipation, you know, that that builds up and just excitement around this Christmas season and things. Well, uh, that, and Tyler mentioned it perfectly as he was uh, introducing the service this morning. Uh, The next four 
weeks, or in, in including Christmas Eve, we're going to be in a, in a short series about anticipation of the Savior. So we're going to be looking at that from different perspectives. Uh, and, and here they are. One is we're going to anticipate the Savior, the, the coming of Christ, first by looking at the reason that he came, the reason that the Savior came. And then the second we're going to look at, second and third, are going to be the anticipation of the Savior that God provided to, the, to, the Israel, to Israel. And he showed them in different ways that this Messiah was coming. And so we're going to look at that through prophecy, and, and that'll be really encouraging to you, I know. And then also um, through the sacrificial system that he prepared Israel to see the Messiah, which they missed. And then we're going to go to uh, uh, anticipating uh, the promise of the Messiah as God gave it to the family of himself, of Jesus. You know, the situation with Mary and all of that. We'll see in, in John the Baptist and his birth. So we'll look at that. And the last, we'll, we'll culminate the, the whole thing on our Christmas Eve service. And that'll be here on the 24th. You probably already figured that out. So that'll be where we'll just talk about the gift of the Savior, where the actual anticipation ends, and here is this, uh, this Savior who has come, this Messiah. And I think after we do all that, you'll see the incredible links that God went to to prepare us and to help us anticipate the arrival of the Messiah. It's, it's really unbelievable, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to studying through that. But before we get to uh, some of those specific things that he did, I want to spend a few minutes this morning just talking about the reason that the Messiah had to come, which will help us to anticipate him that much more. And we're going to be looking at it. You, can, you know it, but you can look at it up here in your Bible. But uh, John three sixteen, And I don't know if this is a Christmas passage, as it were, or not. But... What it does is it tells us the reason that the Messiah came, and it was because it was the perfect expression of the love of God. The reason that the Messiah came, the reason that he gave the Messiah, the Son, is it's the perfect expression of his love, of his character. So if you will, uh, John 3.16, four parts of that that we'll see this morning. I'm just going to pick out a couple of, these four words as we move through it. Uh, these words are the world, his love, he gave, and life. World, love, gave, and life. And you can see those as they unfold in the scripture there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So the first, the first thing I want to do is, is to skip, I want to get, oh, is that up there? Um, in order, God so loved the world, we're going to skip over love and go to world and come back to love, okay? God so loved the world, and this word world is pretty packed in the scripture. When I went, I thought, when I went to study, I thought, well, this, the word world is probably, the, in Greek, it's probably the word nations, and nations are all the people outside of the Hebrews. So it's probably, I thought it's probably nations. It's probably what he's talking about. But the actual wor- word is the word for everything that's created. The cosmos. It's not the nations. It's not that limited. It's everything. And that means the furthest stars 
everything down to the smallest atom, everything in humans, everything in between, all of creation is indicated by this word. God, so we need to start to put our minds in that framework that God so loved the world, so everything that he created. A lot of times I take that to mean God so loved me that he did this, and, and that is true, but God so loved all his creation, but there's something else about that that's really important. It, it's, it has, in this case, it's a more precise like nuance to the word world, this, or cosmos is the Greek word that he uses there, because the world that he loves is utterly and completely damaged. So, uh, it, I don't know if this is the right word to use, but, but cosmically, in other words, on every level, at every place, the creation is damaged. It is now imperfect. And so the, the reason that we have to then say is, well, why is all of it broken? <clears throat> In Genesis, God describes the process by which, as you know, the world was in perfect harmony with God. The creation was in perfect harmony with God until one thing happened, until man sinned. Until man chose to go against God. So here's the interesting thing that, that the, this word world drills down to um, this thing that, that man did to break the whole thing. That man, so help, you know, think with me here about how incredibly uh, complex and intense this is that all of this creation was ruined by man's rebellion. This is how it was all broken, and this is the world that God loves so much. And, and it, I, there's, the thing is about this passage and digging in with this, y'all, it is, there's so much here, and to talk about the real reason that Christ came is, is just out of my pay grade. You know, my education level, everything. I cannot do it, so I'm just humbly coming to you, and I'm just going to try to deliver what it says here. But... To understand, see, we come to that, or I come to that and I say, well, how can it be that the sin of man, one, one thing, could break everything? How could that happen? And here's the, here's the thing. We do not begin to grasp the magnitude of even the slightest sin affront to a perfectly holy God. So that's the only way this could be so broken is if there is such a holy God that nothing impure could be in his presence in any way. And I'm, I'm not trying to like lay a guilt trip on us all about sin and, and that kind of thing. You can, you can deal with that the way you want to. But I feel like if we could just get a grip on the magnitude of the problem, it would it would help us understand the reason that Christ had to come. I was reading in the news just uh, this week about Chernobyl. And, and I don't think any of y'all are even old enough to have remembered when Chernobyl melted down. Uh, but perhaps a couple of you, Steve, I don't know, you might be. Um, no offense, my friend. Um, but it was like 1984 or something like that. Uh, 
And, uh, in, in, you know, that was a terrible tragedy. Many people died and all the, all the horrible things that have been the repercussions of that. Well, uh, I didn't know this, but they're actually building this, one of the biggest projects of all mankind's history to cover Chernobyl, to the actual site. And they're building these two big domes or kind of like convex covers like this away from it. And they're huge. And they cost a couple billion dollars to build this. And then they're going to slide them together and cover up Chernobyl and then box in the sides. And they think after all this that that might last 50 to 100 years. And uh, the guys, and I guess women too, I don't know, who are working to dismantle the towers so that they can slide this thing together, um, they can only, uh, if you work on that section of the, of the melted down uh, reactor for an hour, you've got a year of radiation, <clears throat> okay? And so they have to bring all of these people in to do this highly technical job because every hour they have to send somebody home. It's, I mean, it's just a crazy project. And we see how the decision of, of man has incredible consequences for hundreds of years to come. Just in that one little situation. It destroyed, that destroyed nature, right? Some decisions that men made destroyed nature. And well, they don't even have a place to put the waste if they ever even were able to get it out. There's nowhere to take it. This is, okay, so we know it's all horrible. But if we could just get in our minds the incredible ramifications of sin. And here, here's this personal application, and you guys can take it how you want. But a long time ago when I was looking at the Word, it, came, it, just, it became apparent to me that personal, private sin has public consequences. And, you know, I don't think that, it, that the, our progenitors in, in Genesis really thought that the, their actions would have the consequences that it has. And if you just look through Scripture, you see these incredible consequences to people's decisions that they think are private. So, in other words, I, I just want us to begin to get the idea of the magnitude of sin and how small uh, sin can have such incredible results. Well, there's another aspect to that that... Uh, that's important to see, and that's the inheritance of sin. Okay, so here's a doctrine of Scripture that's really important for us to know. And it's this, that when, when Adam sinned, all mankind inherited that sin. And if you're reading the theology books, they call that imputation. It's pushed forward. Okay, so we inherit, I, I like to think of it as we inherit the DNA of sin as we move forward. As, men move forward. So not only is the cosmos, is the world, all of creation broken, but man in particular has inherited this sin, this uh, guilt through, uh, through our lineage back to the beginning. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through, through sin, so death spread to all men. This is a really important doctrine that all of us need to understand if you're a believer that we have inherited this sin. It's not because Lisa goes out and does something bad that she is now condemned before God. We are, we, we are all 
any of our sin is enough to be a permanent affront to the holy God. So that's, that's done and that's clear. But you also have inherited that sin. And in the, the rest of that passage from Romans 5 says that just like sin came in through one man and all have inherited it, the answer is all through one man. So this word world includes a lot of stuff. <clears throat> the reason uh, for his coming predates the transgression of man. The reason that Christ had to come, the reason the Messiah, the baby in the manger had to come, predates the sin of man. The, the reason that he came was his love, God's character of love. And so, just like we read and we all know at the beginning of John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That there, there is no way I can unpack that word and what that means, but I just want to say two things about it. Uh, he loved. He loved by sending Jesus. Well, let me say it this way: He loved first. He loved first, and that's an expression of who he is in in this love. You, you know, uh, let me read you this passage. It's John one nine through thirteen. So we're just going back in the book of John, just a, a little bit before. It's talking about Jesus. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people, Israel, did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. There's a, this phrase that happens a lot in the scripture, and, and it's, these things happened, but God. But God. God is the one who acts first. Uh, the, uh, my former senior pastor, um, when he would do counseling with people and there was forgiveness that needed to be given, um, sometimes he would, he would say, well, this may, I don't know if this is the best counseling method ever or not, <laughs> but he would say, well, whichever one of you is the biggest can ask for forgiveness. Uh, because, you know, everybody's waiting for the other person. So, in a, so I, probably this doesn't happen in your relationships, but in my relationship with Claire, um, when something comes between us and the edges are ruffled and we're not coming together, somebody has to step out. And, I'm, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about? You don't want to do that. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it's usually Claire, but, <laughs> uh, but you know that feeling, I mean, and so it's, it's, it is so important to us to understand his love is that it, his love acts first and he acts first. He's so loved that he did these things. He, he built the bridge before we knew that we needed the bridge. And then one thing we talked about at, uh, on our Thanksgiving service is that his love is unshakable. It's steadfast and enduring. We read from uh, Lamentations, it says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. and never comes to an end. It is eternal before 
Now, and and all the way as far as you can see, God's love never fails, never ceases. And I love this. I want to point out to you from Romans, Romans 8. You're probably familiar with this passage. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or rulers, or things present, or things to come, powers, height, or depth, or anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Did you see that word creation in there? Nothing can separate us. The world, nothing in the world can separate us from the love of Christ. So he acts first, and he acts permanently because of his love. He so loved us that he, he so loved the world. But, but here's the thing about it that, that, <clears throat> that modifies it just so much is, is, that, is that next word, he gave. God so loved the world that he gave The first thing that tells me is that I can't earn it. I cannot earn the love that he wants to give, this Messiah that he's sending. See, if, if, uh, if someone gives something to you, it implies that there's no earning that has to be done. It, he's not, it doesn't say God uh, paid us the wages of our goodness and sent us the Messiah. It just says that he gave another reflection of his love. And then we know that the gift was incredibly costly because it says that who he gave was his only son. He gave his only son. And of course, in that context, right, in the, the um, Hebrew context that this is written, for the most part, when they say only son, you don't, you don't touch the only son. We all know that. But that's, in that, that's the idea that's supposed to uh, um, indicate the incredible costliness of the gift. But... It's powerful to us, too, because we don't want to give our firstborn child. So there's a, this gift not only was given without us having to earn it, but it was incredibly costly. And we proved, at least at that time, to be incredibly ungrateful. But another thing about it is he... Um, and y'all can help me wrestle with this, uh, but he gave the gift in person. You remember in Philippians 2, uh, 5, it says, um, he gave Christ, or Christ, who though he was born in the form of God, didn't count that equality with God to be a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and he took on the form of a servant and he was born in the likeness of men. That's this miracle of incarnation, this thing where Christ comes uh, from and gives up all of his rights as the supreme ruler and becomes this helpless child in the poorest of situations. Why couldn't it have been done in the spiritual realm? Why couldn't it have been done somewhere else? We didn't have to see it. We just had to believe. You think about that for a second. I mean, could, could God not have done it a different way? But it, instead, he provides this miracle that we're anticipating, the actual birth of the Son of God. He does it in our presence 
And I think that's just another expression of the, uh, the outworking of the love of God. Because we now can relate to this person and he comes in the most humble circumstances possible, what that does is just shows us this incredible gift, the incredible love towards a world that did not, you know, did not ask for this. It's easy to give a gift to people who are receptive and are so thankful, right? That's not what's happening here. <clears throat> but he sins, and this is the thing that we celebrate. But what he provides, what he provides, and this is, this is the last thing I want to say about it, he, he provides life, life eternal. And if you look there at the back end of the passage is 316, he gave his son, his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, a couple of things I want to say about that. One is that uh, we, I think we need to recalibrate what we think of as the word eternal. Because if I say you're going to do anything with me eternally, you're thinking, I don't know. Eternal is a long time. And so uh, that... We need, to, we need to kind of recalibrate that a little bit because one thing we understand about God is that he is outside of time. A thousand years in God, with God, is, is a day that is past, right? So when we say that we will have eternal life with Christ, if we believe, it doesn't mean that we're going to go into this eternal thing that is, it's never going to come to an end, like in a negative sense. So I don't know if I'm talking to all of you or not, but I'm talking to myself. I need to remember that there is now no sense of time once we're in his presence, okay? That um, we, are, we are stuck in understanding things in time. And so when we're in the presence of God, Everything will be made right, as we prayed earlier. And there is no longer a need to think in terms of um, expanses of time, but just the presence of God. Okay, so just let's recalibrate when we talk about eternal. But he says, whoever believes, and this is what's really cool about this. uh, This is eternal life given to us because of his love and it, it's only accessed through belief. Only through belief. So your actions and my actions cannot make us less, accept, less acceptable, and they can't make us more acceptable before or after we come to know him. It's the beauty of this faith. It's only by belief. It says, who, do you see that word before it? It says, whoever believes. Whoever believes. It's not contingent on effort. But then there's two pieces of this thing. It says, shall not perish, but have eternal life. So it's, it's not like, um, there, there's two pieces. Not only, pieces will you not, not only will you not perish, but you will have eternal life if you believe. And there, those words need to be uh, modified to help us understand just a little bit. When, when it says perish, it means permanent suffering 
Not disappear from existence, because we see in other parts of Scripture that it fills us in on that, but that we will be, um, if we do not believe in Christ, if we do not accept that gift, then we will be completely separated forever from God. And again, when I come to that, I think, well, how can that, how can that be fair? How can it be fair that that happens? That does not seem right. And the problem is that I don't grasp, again, the magnitude of sin, how incredibly destructive it is, and what a huge impact it has on everything, my personal sin. You know, we can be okay with Jesus coming and dying for our sin, but, it's, but we somehow think of it as limited. We, we can't get our minds around the idea that he could that he really is dying to prevent us and all of mankind from absolutely perishing. But it's not just that, that perishing, but it's giving eternal life. And it's not just eternal life, but it's eternal life with God. It's not just a move from something neutral, but away from suffering into this permanently good thing. And I, I know I'll say this many times, but the C.S. Lewis says it like this, the greatest things that we can possibly comprehend. If you can think of the greatest experience, the most beautiful thing you've ever seen, all of that is completely broken. And if you think that's good, when we're in the presence of God, that will be perfect. It will be beyond what you can think it could possibly be. And that is the movement from suffering beyond neutral to being with Christ forever. That's an amazing gift, and it was, it was an, at amazing cost. And it was because he loved the world so much. So the reason that the Messiah came, this thing that we're anticipating happening uh, or remembering in, at the end of December, is because of God's love. And the first question that we have to ask ourselves is, have we believed? Now, here's the cool thing. Some of you, and myself included, we probably have come to Christ a couple of times and said, okay, I really believe this time. And, and for some of you, that may be an ongoing thing. That's, that is what is so unbelievable about it all, is that it is only by belief. It can't be quantified by the actions of your intensity, right? You can't make it, you can't, you can't be Bad, you can't have actions to make you bad enough to be unacceptable or good enough to be acceptable. It's only by belief. Only by belief. I was having breakfast with a friend uh, a few days ago, and, uh, and he said, it was, it was really pretty profound as we were walking out, we were talking about this, and, and he said uh, he thought that when we actually arrive in this place that is, if we have believed uh, that Christ is the Messiah, that he came for our, to, to take away our sin and bring us into a relationship with God. If we believe that, when we die, when we move into that place where God is forever, that we will be just blown away by the magnitude of the thing that he did. That we just can't comprehend it. In the beauty of being with him, we will not be able to, we cannot comprehend what that would be like until we are there. And when we are there, we're just going to be just, it's just going to shatter us. It's going to be unbelievable. And so, 
That is the gift that he offers because of his love to bring us into that place with him. And so I want to encourage you as we're moving through these weeks to be looking forward to anticipating the arrival of the Messiah that we will remember in just a few days because it's the perfect expression of the love of God for us. Will you pray with me? God, I do thank you for this thing that we cannot understand. It's just impossible for us to see how you uh, can make things right. And we've, we're so satisfied in our lives. We're so um, content with so many things. But God, you have provided a... Uh, uh, you, in your scripture, you've told us the magnitude of sin. You've told us what you've done to make things right with you. So Lord, I pray that we would just... Uh, revel in that, that we would anticipate what you're going to do. And God, that we would love, love, uh, looking forward to the day when we will be with you forever, God. Uh, And for anyone who has not simply believed in you through Jesus, God, uh, let them make that step soon, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.